A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky It's been a few weeks um, since we have been in the book of Matthew, and we are going to pick back up today. And actually, sorry, let me take a step back. Welcome to those of you who are new here. My name is Ricky. I'm the pastor. Welcome to those of you who are new online. Um, <clears throat> actually, got a question. Were you guys blessed by the, the two teachers who were here these past two weeks? Yeah. They were great. Um, the, if you guys haven't listened to them, I encourage you go back, listen. They were, they were both very timely messages. Uh, but today we're going to pick back up in the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and pick up in Matthew chapter 13. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we will get one to you so that you can track along with us. We always want to encourage you to have your Bible. And I would also say make sure you have a notepad so that you guys can ensure that anybody who's teaching from behind this pulpit is teaching the word and not their own opinions. And today we're going to pick back up in chapter 13 as we have stepped into this section of parables that Jesus is speaking in. And so as you read through the book of Matthew, since it's been a few weeks, remember that this is written to the Jewish person specifically so that they would know and see that Jesus is the Messiah, And so as you read through Matthew, there's a lot of things that are written specifically to bring the Jewish mind to recall what the word says. And so even in the parables today, there's going to be some things that would have been shocking to them in in example. But specifically in 13, we see these seven parables back to back to back to back. And for those of you that don't know, what is a parable? A parable is a short story designed to communicate a spiritual truth, religious principle, or moral lesson that is a figure of speech in which truth is illustrated by a comparison or example drawn from everyday experience. And so we would see Jesus begin to speak in these parables and remembering also that Jesus is not communicating to a large group of believers, but Jesus is actually communicating to a group of unbelievers. We saw a few weeks ago as we stepped into chapter 13 that the disciples would actually pull Jesus aside and ask, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus would explain, I believe there's a definition of being dull-hearted. He would say that these who are listening are dull-hearted, that they are thick, that they weren't understanding And so he would explain to the disciples, and the next definition we have on the screen is that they have the ability to listen and learn, but those who he is speaking to now did not. And so he would speak in parables to bring these amazing teachings to a place that was much easier to understand so that, Lord willing, they would have their eyes open like we would see with Paul on the Damascus Road and come to salvation. 
And so Jesus is speaking in these really simplistic stories so that these who were full of doubt and who weren't able to listen and understand would come to some kind of understanding. They weren't ready for the theological battle and dissertation that Jesus had previously been speaking in, specifically with the Pharisees. You guys tracking with me on that? And so parables are a good thing. They bring it down so that we might understand what Jesus is speaking about, the ways of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so we're going to get into three of them today as we cover verses 24 through 43. Now, if you would, I'm actually remembering to do it today. Would you guys stand with me as we read through this section of Scripture together? So if you were in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, would you say amen? amen. It says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Then he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in the gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Continuing on, it says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown larger than all the garden plants and become a tree, so that the birds of the air may come and make nests in its branches. Then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom. <clears throat> they will gather out of his kingdom all cause, causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. You guys may be seated. So, Lord, we come before you this morning asking that you would <clears throat> provide us, Lord, your Holy Spirit, that we might have understanding. And, Lord, we ask that you would <clears throat> not just 
let us hear these things with our ears, but Father, that we would consume them and meditate on these things so that, Father, we would be more like you. So that, Lord, we would be able to walk out this, this great and wonderful commission to go out and proclaim the gospel to all who need to hear it. And that we would do it full of joy. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right. So today, <coughs> we see the parable of the weeds, the mustard seed, and leaven. Now, as we get into these parables, these three are paired together in such a way that we see something interesting. Now, there's a few different ways that you could look at it. Um, I have a few different, I guess you could call titles, but these are parables of future problems. You could call them parables of the spiritual battle that that will exist within the church. Um, But nonetheless, we will see that These are cautions and warnings to the believer to know what is going to exist within the kingdom or the church. So as we get into this today, because of the way the scripture is laid out for simplicity of breaking it down, we're going to come back to verse 24 after we look at the mustard seed and the leaven and then look at the whole parable of the weeds together. So first, we're going to look at the parable of the mustard seed, and I think you guys will see why we're going to do this. Now, actually, I'm just going to read it really quick before I say anything else. So in verse 31, he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Please forgive me, I've been sick, was sick at the beginning of the week and throat's still bothering me some. So, before we get into this, there are a few different ways or a few different perspectives on this particular parable. There are some who would teach that the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven is speaking to the significant and wonderful or fantastical growth of the church. There are some who read it and see it as a blessing that Jesus is foretelling about the massive growth that the church overall is going to have. And (coughs) while these parables absolutely do speak to the growth of the church, when we pay attention to the whole context of these three parables together, we see that while Jesus is speaking to the growth of it, he is certainly speaking of the problems that are going to exist within it. And so I'm not going to teach these parables in the light that this is a blessing that we're reading about, but we're going to read these parables in the fact that I believe, and we'll see with the context here and the certain pieces Jesus puts in here is that Jesus is actually telling us to be ready to be cautious and to be spiritually prepared for the fight that will exist, not to the exterior of the church, but within the church. So, as we're looking at that, the first thing we see is that there is a mustard seed and it has been planted and that there is growth. 
So let's acknowledge something first and foremost, that if God is with a ministry and God is with a man or men of God as they are planting a church, then we will see blessing come with it, and that is those who want to hear the gospel. Now, I want us to make sure that we remember that point. A church that is blessed by God is a group of people who come together who want to be edified by the word of God, not to be encouraged by the entertaining words of a man. A faithful church is one who wants to be edified by the word itself. And so as that seed is planted, as God is faithful, a church should absolutely see growth. But what's interesting here is that, I'm sorry again, Jesus is comparing it to a mustard seed that turns into a tree. Now, I can't imagine there's very many of you in here who have ever planted a mustard seed by the raise of hands. Who in here has ever done that? We got two, three, a couple. All right, cool. So this isn't going to be lost on everybody. But when you plant a mustard seed, it does not typically grow into, and it doesn't normally, nor should it, grow into what we would consider a large tree. A lot of times it stays as a small plant or it turns into a bush or a shrub, but it is not typically described as a tree. Jesus is actually describing a strange kind of growth that is coming from this kind of seed into something that is not impossible, but it is not normal. And that this might even imply that extra growth is not always beneficial. I know when I was in high school, Um, I don't know how many of you are going to know what this is, but I worked on a gourd farm for four years. How many of you guys know what a gourd is? Yeah, a lot of you guys. Okay. For those of you who don't know, if you're ever passing a farm and you see those weird birdhouse things that are hanging from the hooks, that's a gourd. And I I helped a guy grow those for many years. And um, as is very culturally appropriate of me, I was picking them in his fields. And uh, that was a joke for the Spanish group that's in here. All the white people were afraid to laugh at that joke. It's okay. (laughs) It's all right. Now, so I did that for many years, but this this particular gentleman was actually really good at growing things extraordinarily large. He would go to the uh, state fairs every year and bring his uh, fruits and vegetables to see how large he can make them. He had a placard on his wall and a picture I got to see of a 550-pound pumpkin that he had grown, and I remember we grew um, a 25-pound zucchini one time. It did not make it very far, but what happens a lot of times is when you get into agriculture and vegetation like that, things tend to lose their flavor the larger they get. There's actually a sweet spot when it comes to fruit and vegetables, and when you exceed it, it's, it's exciting to look at, but it is not so exciting to eat. Oftentimes, it either doesn't taste good or it doesn't taste like anything at all. And so here, Jesus is describing something similar with this mustard seed growing into a tree. As again, it should be a shrub or a small plant. It has grown into something astronomical to allow something interesting to happen. It has allowed the home of the enemy to be established within it. Now, how do we know that? It says that it has grown into a tree so that the birds of the year may be able to make their nests and abide within this plant. Now, as you guys study your Bibles, 
and as we look at other sections in Scripture, you'll see that the birds of the air are most often used to describe the works of the enemy or those who are working on behalf of the enemy. So the birds of the air in this circumstance, as we look at the majority of the examples, would indicate that this is the enemy residing within this thing. We can look at a couple sections specifically. Revelation 18, 1 through 2 says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with its glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. And so we see that said very plainly there, but I will say there's gonna be some of you who are like, okay, so there's a giant bird on the wall behind you. It can't possibly be only speaking about birds in the foul context. There is a rare occasion that a bird is used as a signal or an element of hope. As we see on the wall, the bird when Jesus is baptized or the dove would descend on him as he was baptized. When we look at Genesis, or sorry, yeah, Genesis chapter eight, Noah would send a dove out to see if there would be land to land on with the ark at the time. But for the most part, we see the birds as the representation of the enemy. Now, as you guys are reading this, I'm sure there's some of you who would say, well, I've always heard this parable taught as this is a blessing of the church growing. Well, again, remember, we're gonna keep in context with what these three parables say together, as Jesus would use the three of them to expound on an idea so that they would understand what is being said, because we'll see in a moment the parable of the weeds will literally say this. Now, what are these birds a possible example of? As we see the church grow, it grows into something pretty fantastic. I would say that as we look at the world around us, I can't imagine the disciples would have expected the Christian church to look like what it looks like today. When Jesus said to go out and to make sure the gospel is heard to every corner, I can't imagine they thought that would have actually been accomplished as quickly as it was, but then for it to be what it has become. Now, the church in whatever context, we tend to hyper-focus on the West and the grandiose version that it has become, but there is a strange version of church on every continent of the earth We can find examples of these birds of the air existing within the church as it has grown large enough for the enemy to be hidden within it. Now, I would encourage you, as you read through the New Testament specifically, Paul and John and Peter would be writing to the churches to make sure that they were spiritually prepared to make a defense for these within the church. Now, the first thing that we see, and it's very clearly stated in 1 John, is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, many of you have heard the name Antichrist, and we know that that is a person who is expected to arrive at the end of the age. But Scripture makes it very clear that there is a spirit of the Antichrist that exists as well. And this spirit is the denial and disbelief that Jesus is Lord. So if you guys would, flip with me to 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to give you a minute. And that 
We need to be cautious not to make sure that we fixate on the person, but that we're aware of the characteristics of that person that can well up within us as a church. If you're in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, would you say amen? It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, this particular example should give us the automatic indicator of the importance that we actually speak about Scripture, not just to one another, but with one another is that there are many people within any church who would seem to have a good face about them, but when you get into what it is that they believe, you might find surprisingly often that not as many people actually believe in the lordship of Christ as you would think they do. As many people believe in the goodness of the gift of everlasting life, but they are wholly unsubmitted to the fact that he is Lord. Are you guys understanding with me on that one? Many. We are in, and let's, let's acknowledge something. We're in the Bible Belt, and we're in the South. Good luck going out onto the street and evangelizing and not running into everybody being a Christian. They'll all tell you that. But many have no clue what that means. Being a Christian is to be a surrendered disciple of Jesus, and so as you have a conversation with somebody, you'll find out rather quickly whether they are a surrendered follower of Christ. So this is an example of one of these ravens that might be existing or the birds of the air that might be existing within the church. Another we might see is the worship of self. Now, we can paint this in many different pictures, but this is the rejection that God's standard for life is good. This is a person who would insert desire over God's word. And there are, as we look around, even today, we don't have to look very far, there are entire churches who are struggling with the simple biblical reality that God's intended way of life is by his definition good. Can we remember that? That we are called to live a life that is by whose definition? God's definition of good. Brothers and sisters, it is not a submitted Christian who would say that I want to live by my definition of good, but it is a submitted Christian who says I want to live by the Lord's definition of good. And then we run into another issue, the worship of man's kingdom. Now, we being in the West, this is something that is, tends to be 
a particular issue of ours as our resources are through the roof compared to churches around the world. It can be displayed within the churches as churches and pastors can be consumed with growth over commission. That is a pastor and leaders within the church who are hyper-focused and hyper-obsessed with making sure not only butts are in the seats, but added butts continue to be added to those seats. And it's a problem of numbers in that they want to see growth because believe it or not, as you step into ministry, what you'll find within many denominations is that they actually have to report growth to people. They have to report numerical and financial growth to show that they are still blessed by God. Brothers and sisters, there is zero biblical outline for that kind of estimation of a healthy church. A healthy church, again, is submitted to the word of God, and a healthy church body is a group of people like we see in Acts who are committed to worship God while their heart, soul, mind, and strength and are committed to love one another the way that the Lord loves them. And you can't do that on paper. <clears throat> and so we run into that with churches who are overly <clears throat> given to the idea that they must grow numerically. And brothers and sisters, can I say, and I need you to tell us this because we have absolutely experienced growth here in this church and we don't want anybody to feel this way. Our leadership team talks about this frequently is that this is a problem when people become statistics and a bottom line rather than family and disciples. Your church should be family. Your church should be a place that is investing time to disciple you or you being in a place to disciple others as well. This is a place that pours into itself constantly to make sure that their spiritual needs are met first. And then also, when we look to the exterior of the church, are we overly focused on the political realities that exist outside of the church? It is amazing how many churches, I got a weird hiss behind you guys, <clears throat> um, get hyper-focused on the politics of things. Is that can, can we remember for two seconds that Jesus never actually gave us a guideline for whether we're supposed to be liberal or Republican? There isn't, that we, we chuckle about that, but can we be real about that for one second? Is that I can find small biblical principles within either party, right? But I can also find major biblical problems in both as well. What the people of God are called to be is simply that. The people of God who are committed to leading their families and leading their communities to the Lord. Not to a political party, not to a president, not to a group, but to Christ and Christ alone. And now some of you are thinking, well, well Pastor, you've certainly had some political gatherings here. I would say this. I am called to be a pastor first and foremost, and only that. But it does not mean that some of you are not called to speak the gospel into areas where the gospel is wholly absent. It is okay, men of God, for you to take up your task 
and to be leaders in the community. It doesn't mean that you're gonna win, but can I say that there's a generation of people who need to see that there are people who actually not just believe it, but fight for the word of God. And the leaders of the church are called to disciple those men that they would stay true and that they would continue to walk according to the word of God. Are you guys tracking with me on that? Is I will do whatever is necessary to make sure that the men of God in this church are positioned to be the leaders they are called to be within the home and outside of the home. Your home is not just the walls around you. Your home is the street and town you reside in and the church you're a part of. Are you a leader within it? Are you a servant within it first? But that is what we're called to be. But even then, we can get that askew where people who begin to step out in that world, what they tend to do is they tend to try to bring politics into the church to make the church better. No, the word of God was supposed to des- was designed to make the world better. The word of God does not need your political opinion. Your political views need biblical truth instead. So let's make sure that we are not installing these different kinds of the birds of the air within our churches, but that we would stay wholly focused within this because there is a healthy kind of growth and there is an unhealthy and unnatural kind as well. And then we move on to the next parable, the parable of the leaven. It says, he told them in another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now here's another piece that's interesting that would give us an indication that this kind of growth is not something to be admired. Leaven throughout scripture is always depicted as an issue of sin and corruption. Now, here we see like the mustard seed turning into the tree that this is a extravagant amount of bread that for some reason this single individual woman has the ability to make bread for a hundred people. This is a strange amount for some lady to be toting around town with. But even then, she has this extravagant amount of meal prepared, but then she chooses to do what? And I would say that this is a key set of words. She chooses to hide it within it. This thing that could have been a blessing has had something sinful and corrupted hidden within it so that it would corrupt the whole meal. Brothers and sisters, while the church is certainly going to grow to an extent, we have to be careful that leaven doesn't exist among us. We have to be careful that we're not that lump of leaven within our congregation, that we have to make sure that we are presenting ourselves before the Lord, that we would be advocating for holiness rather than comfort. Holiness is what the Christian strives for. And so here, as, we've looking, have we, as we have looked at the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, we have seen that Growth is depicted, but there are problems there within it that at a certain point, the enemy will absolutely send his aides to reside within that place. And then there are some who will absolutely hide problems there within it as well, hoping that it would corrupt the entire measure. 
We'll look at just in a second the parable of the weeds. But before we do that, we see Jesus. He says, all these things to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And we see this in Psalm 78 too. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. It's an interesting parable because it was specifically titled in many of your Bibles, Tell the Coming Generation of What's Going to Come. Another example that Jesus was a clear picture of the Messiah who the Jews had been waiting for. But now, <coughs> as we've looked at these two, we get to the parable of the weeds. And we're going to read through just again to make sure we're keeping on pace with one another, verses 24 through 30, and then we're gonna skip down to verse 36 through 43. So we'll read the parable and then the explanation. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to them, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Then he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds <coughs> you root up the wheat along with them. So let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. <clears throat> then continuing down, he says, then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. <coughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <clears throat> then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So here as we look at this parable of the weeds, we see Jesus bring these three to a conclusion. And we can, hopefully, <clears throat> you guys can see why we would look at the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven not so much like a blessing, but as a caution to the fact that the church may grow beyond what it should. And even if it's growing be to a place where God wholly intended, we need to still be prepared for the spiritual battle within it. And so here, we see God's good work. <clears throat> and we can't overlook that is that God is doing a good work in growing the church because that means if God is calling it good and he is growing the church, that means that there is actually people who are coming to salvation and the numbers are being added to the kingdom of heaven. God is doing a faithful work with his bride. The church is growing. 
But as a church continues to grow, we have to remember that there is an enemy who seeks to kill and destroy, who wants to see destroyed what and who God loves. And so he throws weeds within it. This is the enemy's wicked work within the church, his attempts to destroy what God loves. But then we see something interesting is that those who would work for the Lord would ask, well, do you want us to pluck the weeds in the middle of this season? But as these two are growing together, especially in their youth, as you pull the weeds, you can't guarantee that you won't take out the good plant along with it as the roots roots have not been set yet. And so we see Jesus explain, no, let the two grow up together so that they are more clearly identified in the latter days. And when that time has come, I will then pull the weeds from them and throw them into the fire. And I would say that this particular parable is a wonderful answer to the question of why does God not eliminate evil when he sees it? As he makes it very clear that he could absolutely pull the weeds, but the destruction that would come with plucking it too soon would cause greater damage. As we see Peter also tell us that every day God has given us is a day of grace and mercy. There would be some who would be so foolish just to pray that God would do, deal justice today. But if he did it today, right now, that means God has to say that there is nobody else who can be saved, but every day is another day of hope for the salvation of somebody else. And so as the church continues to grow, there is absolutely going to be the problems of the birds of the air within it. And that we should be prepared to battle spiritually against them. But we also need to be prepared to minister faithfully, whether they're there or not. Is that you can get caught up worrying about all the things that are going wrong with those who are walking astray. And we should absolutely pray and minister to them but we need to spend more time ministering to those who need to be ministered to. Is that, brothers and sisters, as we look through Scripture, we are never called to hyper-focus on the work of the enemy ever. As we look at the end times, we are called to look for the coming of Christ, not for the coming of the Antichrist. We are called to be messengers of hope, We are called to be full of joy. And while we might have to deal as the Lord leads us with these birds of the air that exist among us, what we're called to focus on wholeheartedly is our worship of the Lord and our ministering to one another. And so here as we look at these parables, it gives us a caution. But it also reminds us that God allows these things to happen because He loves us. He wants to see our faith grown. He wants to see our roots run deep so that our faith would stand sure. Persecution produces faith. Brothers and sisters, we might think it would be easier to believe in God if we didn't have tribulation, but that's not true. We live in a culture that has made it abundantly clear where there is an abundance of comfort is also an abundance of godless people. 
because the enemy has done a fantastic job of convincing us that we don't need him. The birds of the air remind us every single day that we need the Lord, that we need to reside in his word, that we need to be humble in his presence so that we would be equipped with the armor necessary to be prepared for the day of battle. So as we're looking at this, as we see this <coughs> picture of growth and grandeur, <coughs> brothers and sisters, what we ought to be careful of is don't be impressed by the grandeur that man has brought into the church, but be satisfied in the sovereignty of God. Don't be worried about the birds of the air. The Lord will deal with them. He's made that abundantly clear. Their fate is sealed. If you have to deal with them, the Lord will make it clear for you. But you focus on what God is doing. <coughs> I'm really sorry. My throat is killing me. Sorry. I'm not sick, I promise. Thank you very much. All right. Actually, I'm going to hold off on that one second. You don't want to hear me chew on that in my microphone. All right. <coughs> As we close this out, would you flip with me to Psalm 33? Psalm 33, verse 13. If you're there, would you say amen? It says, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. <clears throat> a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on, the ones, on those who fear him on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. <clears throat> our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. And so brothers and sisters, we have all these different things to look at, but don't be foolish as to place your hope in the grandiose nature that we can apply to church, but place your hope in God. And I can tell you what, it doesn't matter whether the church is very small or very large. If there's a group of people who are gathered together who have placed their hope in God and God alone, that is a place to be. Because everybody will be walking together looking for glory as it is coming soon, amen? It's at least sooner than it was yesterday, right? So let's stand together and pray. And as always, if there's anybody who needs prayer or to be anointed with oil, myself and the other pastors will be up front to pray over you. And I encourage you, <clears throat> let's close out and worship the Lord in gladness before we make or before we break away and have this meal. <clears throat> and as I close out, I'm also gonna pray over the meal. And once we're done, for those of you that have children, please get them before you get your food. Your children's ministry leaders, I'm sure, would very much appreciate that. 
And then we'll have some sweet time of fellowship together. But let's bring ourselves before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come before you now thankful, Father, that you would... That, Lord, you would be gracious enough to not pull the weeds too soon. That, Lord, as I consider my life and this this road of faith that you have had me on, Lord, I can certainly think of some times where if you had removed the weeds too soon, you would have removed me as well. And so, God, I pray that you would teach us to trust you even in the seasons of tribulation. God, I pray that you would teach us to focus on you rather than those who do us wrong. God, I pray that you would incline all of our ears here to hear your word instead of the wisdom of men. But Lord, I pray that we would be a church so consumed in your word that the birds of the air wouldn't even waste their time here. But Lord, if they would, God, I pray that your presence would abound so greatly that even they would come to salvation. So Lord, I pray that, God, this last song of worship would be a sound that is sweet to you. That, Lord, as we break off from service in, in a moment and move into this time of fellowship, we pray that you would bless this food to our bodies. That, Lord, you would teach us to minister to one another in a greater capacity than we knew we could this morning. And that, Lord, we would encourage one another, Father, with the joy that you have instilled in us. We ask this in your name. Amen.